Well, you'll notice that I'm a little shorter today, um, but I, I might get used to this. This is pretty nice. Um, so this week, we are starting a journey that I, I have looked forward to this for years. Um, we will be reading through the Bible together, and uh, every member of the family is going to be reading the same passages. So out in the back, uh, there are uh, Bibles that have large sections of the Scripture put together. They have purposely taken the chapter and verses out, because sometimes we kind of get caught up in, oh, I've got to read four chapters today, or I've got, I, I'm not going to read Lamentations because I'm kind of confused, right? I, I know that we all do that uh, because there's sometimes I do that. So the authors have said, you know what, let's just take all of that out and let's just focus on the, ma- the big movements of God in the Bible. And each Sunday, I'm going to be introducing a big movement of, uh, in the Scripture And uh, then the next week, we'll be reading those passages. So today, I'm going to be introducing the creation story, basically found in uh, Genesis 1 through 9-ish. And then next, this coming six days, you'll be reading those passages in what we call chapter 1 of the Bible that, that you've purchased back here. If you don't have it yet, we have plenty there's some adult, uh, adult books. There are some for teens that are kind of cool. And then there's uh, two or three versions of for children. Some are just pictures, and you get to tell the story to your little kids. Uh, so why are we doing this? Uh, this is kind of, if you're new today, this is the very first day we've, we're starting this uh, series. It's going to take 31 weeks for me to preach through the Bible. Why are we doing this? Well, can I point to the very first core value we have? It's biblical faithfulness. And that core value says we believe that spiritual transformation comes through the proclamation and the relevant teaching of God's inspired word. The authoritative and trustworthy rule of faith and practice for Christians. That's why we're doing this because we believe that it's important for us to base our lives on the truth that God has provided for us in the scripture itself. And the second is Christ-like discipleship. We believe that drawing all believers into a healthy and maturing relationship with Christ is a scriptural requirement. And then to equip them to live that faith boldly in every sphere of their life. So, so it's important for us to understand what it, the truth in the Bible and then apply that in our lives and become active, living disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. So I just in, invite you, let's all do this together. If you haven't gotten your Bible yet, grab it. If you don't have the money today, don't worry about it. It's so much more important for us to be doing this all together. And by the time the 31 weeks are over, you have read the major uh, uh, scriptural movements of God in the Bible. So let's begin our sermon then. So uh, this is the big idea of the very first part of Genesis. People 
are the pinnacle of God's creative work. And he is in relentless pursuit of a relationship with each one of us. The very first few pages of a book, the author introduces the characters, the plot lines, and often hints at the conclusion, if he's a good or she's a good author. Often a conductor of a music piece might stand on the edge of the platform before the uh, concert and will explain to the audience the intentions of the original writer of the piece that they're about to play. The artist will start with a blank uh, canvas and he or she will begin to outline where the characters will be and maybe where the sunlight will will spread through the window and where a tree is and he or she will begin to just barely outline what's going on. A director of a play will often step out on the stage and introduce the characters and the plot of the story and and why the why the set is designed a certain way or or who the characters are. This is exactly what is happening in the very first few chapters of Genesis. And they're really important, they're extremely important for us to understand if you want to grasp the big story that is being told in the Bible. I'll try this morning to introduce the big picture as we look at the, especially the first six chapters of Genesis. There are questions and answers that will set the stage for everything that will happen in all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament as we, as we look through these 31 weeks. So it's really important for us to understand these questions and answers. So open to Genesis chapter 1, if you don't mind. When I was young, I remember laying on my back in the, the grass on a summer evening when the sky was totally open and free of clouds, and I would look up in the stars. And I was amazed at what I thought was just thousands of stars in the sky. They, they twinkled, and I knew there was something called uh, a galaxy, and they told me that it was called the Milky Way, which really made me hungry for a candy bar. I don't know why. But I just felt so small when I looked at this huge array of stars in the sky. My teachers back in the 1970s, yes, there was school and teachers back in the 1970s. It had been invented by then. They told me back then that there were around 400 billion stars and 100 billion planets just in our galaxy. And I would almost get dizzy at the hugeness. Can I use that word? I invented it. The hugeness of the world that I was such a small part of. That was in the 70s. But then in 1996, astronomers invented this thing called the Hubble Space Telescope. Anybody ever heard of that back in 1996? They focused the Hubble Telescope on one utterly black patch 
of space right next to the Big Dipper. And they left the shutter open for 10 solid days. They found 3,000 more galaxies just like our galaxy. They did it again in 2004, and this time they left it open for 11 days. That time they found 10,000 more galaxies just like the one we were in. It turns out the astronomers are now guessing there could be 100 billion galaxies in our universe. And here I thought I was dizzy just just with my one galaxy that I could kind of view. In the beginning, God came to a place that was formless, empty, black, it was dark. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the place before he went to work creating a space where we could enjoy fellowship with him. Now, I want you to consider something. This really puts it in perspective for me. We know that there are at least 100 billion galaxies, meaning there are trillions of stars and planets. Yet to God... You and I are the crowning masterpiece of what he created. Let me ask you something. What's the point of Genesis? Now, if I were a writer in my notes in my Bible, I would be writing notes right now, and I am a writer, so I hope you are too. So, at the very top of Genesis... You might just put, there's going to be three or four lines that you you will need to put in there. What's the primary point of Genesis? The first is this. God wants to be with us. That is a life-changing perspective. If you read through Genesis, yea, verily, read through the whole Bible. That is truly the point of the whole Bible. God wants to be with me. Think of this, the God of the universe who needs nothing, who needs no one, who needs no place, wanted to create a place so that he could be in community with us. He wanted to share life with us. He, we were his crowning masterpiece And we are at the very center of that creation. I don't know about you, but that gives me a great sense of value that God wanted and wants to be with me. You've heard me say it. I say it almost every Sunday. I said it today. Isn't it amazing that God wants to be with us more than we want to be with him? Here's the second thing you might want to jot down at the title page of Genesis. What's the primary point of Genesis? It's this. God brought heaven down to earth for our enjoyment. 
God brought heaven down to earth for our enjoyment. He literally desired to bring heaven down to earth. Watch, watch the scene unfold. First, God brought form and meaning out of darkness and emptiness. Day one, he separated light from darkness. Day two, he separated water and sky. Day three, he separated land and water. On day four, five, and six, he added the sun and the moon and the stars and the fish and the birds and the animal. I, animals, I am looking forward to movie night in heaven. Can you imagine? I, I am confident God will have movie nights of everything that we've just read about. I'm going to put butter on my popcorn as much as I want because I ain't going to get fat in heaven. So imagine with me that God has created some spectacular beauties that all of us have seen. Things like he's, he created the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest and the stark beauty of the Sahara Desert and the cascading elegance of Victoria Falls. He did that as he was creating the world. Now combine those amazing creations with thousands of jewels of his creative powers and yet, and yet, there's still something missing in creation. He knows that he is not even close to the beauty of his core passion. He knew that now he must create his crowning jewel. The second thing is he created man and woman in his own image. That was his crowning jewel. What great value God gives to us. It's not the beauty of the skies. It's not the beauty of the flowers. It's not the sunshine. It's not the jewels that are so beautiful. It's you and me that God, like, whoa! I love them so much. So God created mankind in his own image, it says in verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Did, did you notice that God's not stuttering here? He's saying things over and over. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. After every day, God stands back and appreciates the form and the beauty. He chuckles to himself, and he says, wow, that is good. Then he rested on day seven. The third thing, God came down then to enjoy his creation. That's huge. God came down. We could write books about that. The God of the heavens wanted to be with us. He longed to create the perfect environment where he could love 
and he could be loved. It was a true community of fellowship and joy. In fact, the scripture says that they had fellowship in the cool of the day. What a description of peace, a description of joy and laughter and oneness. And with this final act of coming to enjoy his creation, God's plan was now in place. Now, throughout this series, for 31 weeks, you are going to hear me talk about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is this overarching story of God and his big plan that spans not only just the entire Bible story, but it inspi- that it spans the entire expanse of, uh, of life itself for the whole world. God sees and he is overlooking this entire thing. Because he has no beginning and he has no ending, and he's omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, he can see this whole thing. He can see creation over here and Adam and Eve, and he can see then, then uh, uh, Abraham coming into place and, and Moses and then the prophets and David gets involved and Saul and, and, and David and then Solomon. And then the, the, the Israel is, is, is divided and, and they, they have to be taken to other countries as prisoners. And then the prophecies of the minor prophets and the, and the uh, major prophets, minor prophets, and then silence for 300 years. And then he knows that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the disciples, and Jesus is here, and, and, and Paul, and Peter, and the church expands in Acts, and then we get into the epistles and revelations. God sees it all. That's this big story. That's this overarching story called the upper story. God sees everything all at once. Then there's the lower story. It's the story that you and I see. We just see the here and now. We see the pain and suffering that we're dealing with today. The lower story is how God interacts, intersects with us and what we experience. And this is what we are good at. Just what we're seeing in this hour, the pain that we're dealing with today, the temptation of right now, and our lower story is short-sighted and probably even a little selfish because we don't get it. We don't have this ability to see God's upper story and what God is is putting into place, he's putting that story there so that this story can happen and because it's going to affect that story and this person's life is going to, and that person's going to marry and, and he sees it all. That's the upper story that God has seen. We see the challenge of right this minute and we're short-sighted. And so throughout this series, we're going to see how God's upper story affects our little short-sighted story. And he interacts with us sometimes. With us sometimes it is because of our sin. But at all times, God is determined 
to bring our lower story in line with his overarching big story all the time. There are times that God will take you through a challenge because he knows what's coming. There are times that God puts you in front of Goliath because he knows that you're about to become a king. There are times that God allows you to go through a temptation because he knows that you need that lesson later. There are times that God allows you to go through that that trial, that challenge, because he knows someone needs to hear your testimony later. Don't begrudge God for allowing you to go through a challenge because he's got this big plan and he needs you to succeed in that challenge because you're going to be his voice over here. So this is the prologue. This is the introduction to this entire story of God and mankind. Can we kind of get in our minds that we're looking at this big picture? Everything begins with God. God created. God created form. God created beauty. God created even life. God created expansive intergalactic systems and even miniature atoms that bring form to the DNA of life. Everything begins with a God who wants to be with his creation. Pastor Randy Frazee said, this is the prologue to the entire history of God and mankind. Everything begins with God. The universe, the galaxies, our little planet, men and women, all were God's ideas. His vision was to spend eternity in a perfect community, enjoying the fellowship of people he created in his own image. He chose to bring you and me into the world for his pleasure. And to this day, listen, To this day, he yearns to be with you, to walk beside you, and experience all of life with you in both the deepest valleys and the highest mountains. Whoa, that is amazing. If we could grasp that perspective, That God wants to be with me. He loves me so much that he came to be with me. And all of the stories in all of the Old Testament and New Testament is all about bringing me back into fellowship with him. That's life-changing. Now, here's another question. Why? Why? Why would God step outside of his perfect heaven to live in our imperfect world? Darla and I believe in family planning through prayer, and we still do. We knew that God would let us know when it was the right time to have our first. We waited about four and a half years, and in prayer we both realized it was time 
to see our family grow, we needed a, a tax deduction. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, that first pregnancy was just a wonderful time of, of dreaming and laughing and studying books and, you know, trying to figure out what was going on in, in her tummy. And we just loved thinking through what our, what our child was going to be like. And uh, we, it was an exciting time of discovery and adventure, and we wanted to share our lives with this new baby that we had not yet met. And in preparation for that new little human, we did what all good parents did. We ate ice cream at midnight. Uh, not really, but uh, yeah, I think we probably did. Maybe a little pickles, I don't know. Uh, but what we did do was we did everything to prepare for his coming. We created a special room for him so that he could have a safe and clean environment. We, we bought a sturdy crib. We had fuzzy blankets. We had a lot of diapers. And uh, we just did our best to prepare for his coming. And with each passing month, we got more and more excited we knew that very soon he would be jo- we would be joined by someone uh, who would be a part of our family the rest of our lives, and we couldn't wait to be with him. We looked forward to talking to him and laughing with him and getting to know his personality. Finally, the time came, and this little baby boy was born, and we named him Jordan David Hewlett. He was six foot six point two pounds. He was eighteen inches. Can we just applause that I actually remembered all of that? I just, thank you. Uh, thank you. I, that's impressive. I, but listen, the first moment that we looked in his face was incredible joy. And so it was with God. When he looked into the eyes, of Adam and Eve, his heart, I'm guessing, was just about to explode with love and joy. And he said, mm, this is good. And it was good. Why would God step outside of his perfect world to be with us? Well, because the father wanted to be with his created children. Just as parents dream of a bright future for their, cha- for their children, God envisioned not just a good life, but a perfect life for us. It was as if God was almost saying, this is going to be great, kids. Here's a beautiful garden. There's an abundance of food right here for you. There's no disease. There's no, no sadness. Even the lions and the lambs get together and have fun. And best of all, you have each other to hang out with and enjoy each other. And you have the pleasures of this world that I have made for you. And we get to be together. 
Why did God want to be with us? Well, it's because your story begins with God looking into your face and saying, this, you are good. Like any proud parent, he wanted the best for you, and he wants the best for you. Can you imagine Adam's very first sight when he opened his eyes was the very face of God breathing life into his nostrils. That was the very first sight that Adam had. But there was a change in God's perfect plan. This is where, in a movie, the music goes from majors to minor. Right? God intended for his creation never to suffer. How many of you have ever suffered in your life? Half of you. No, all of you have. He wanted you to experience perfect harmony with your, your neighbors. But you've already found out there's conflict and there's abundance of disagreement. He wants you to live forever. His original plan was that, that we would live forever in perfect health. I don't have that perfect health today. He wanted you to live in a beautiful garden. Some of us have recognized that we don't live in the perfect place. Why? So, what happened? What happened to the perfect story that God had written? Our story began in a beautiful garden. In fact, the word Eden is a Hebrew word that means delight. And it certainly was. The garden was beautiful in every way. Many scholars believe that its location was a fertile area where the, the Tigris and the Euphrates River met in today's Iraq. But we, obviously we haven't found it. Stunning Botanical gardens, lush, flowing bushes, abundant fruit trees. It was just a perfect home for the two that lived there. It was a paradise that was to be shared with God forever. And the garden was one of freedom as well. Rather than force Adam and Eve into a relationship, God gave them the freedom to choose whether they wanted to be with him or go at it alone. For them to make a choice, God provided two trees in the middle of the garden. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told them that they could eat of any tree in the entire garden, except one. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them that if they ate it, they would surely die. And he meant it. 
a serpent, which was Satan, tempted them, and they both decided that they wanted to be just like God. So they ignored God. They ate of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree lived up to its name. Evil was deposited alongside of the truth in the DNA of Adam and Eve and also in the DNA of every human that came after them, including you and me. And from that moment on, this grand vision of God to dwell with us sat in ruins. Because of Adam and Eve's role, their disobedience became an inheritance that all of us have dealt with. Authentic love and genuine fellowship and pure honesty, awesome beauty, these would now have to be worked for. And they would come at a price. The garden story ended with a game of hide and seek. Adam and Eve hid from God because they immediately knew that they had sinned. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. The game of blaming has not stopped yet. Now, they don't want to be with God because they know the difference now between good and evil. And they recognize themselves as evil. As Adam and Eve hid, God did what he has always done and will always do. He sought them out. It was such an act of mercy and grace for God to seek them out, even when they had sinned. And our story continued by being, they had been forced out of the garden. God says, and the Lord God said, or the scripture says, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Hmm, interesting. He uses plural. God, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity shows up first time in 127. The man has now become one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, why would a loving God curse all of mankind to a life where we would have to work hard and deal with sin and death? How could he let just a simple act of disobedience ruin the perfect relationship that he desired to have with us? Well, from our lower story, this appears to be a cruel and unusual punishment, just with our little perspective. But from God's upper story, this grand plan, it had to happen, and let me explain why. Even after their expulsion from the garden, God had a perfect plan to bring them back into communion with him. 
by removing them from the pure garden, God created a plan to give you and me the possibility of living again with him forever. A day came, a day will come, that when death overtakes us, we will enter into that perfect place of authentic love and genuine fellowship and pure honesty and awesome beauty just like Adam and Eve had. God is as passionate as ever in wanting us to live with him. God is willing, listen, God is willing to meet us outside of the garden and walk with us through every experience of life. Did you hear that? This perfect God desires more than ever to have fellowship in the cool of the day with those who selfishly have pushed him to the side. That is love. Would you please stand? You may think that this was the end of the story. That God would finally just give up on us, especially after Noah and the flood and the people didn't change. They were still selfish. But the story did not end. God couldn't end it there. He wouldn't. Why? Remember, we, you and I, we are his crowning achievement. Remember, we were created in his own image and we were crowned with honor and glory in his own image. Regardless of what Adam and Eve did, regardless of what Cain and Abel did, regardless of what we are going to read about Noah and his, what his sons did this next week, even then, God wants to be with you. And God's grand story of love has not changed. He still wants to do life with you. He still wants to have a loving community with genuine fellowship and a relationship with those that he created. Listen. From this point in the story until the final chapter of Revelation, we see this single passion of God unfolding, the single storyline, story after story, chapter after chapter, book after book. And this is what it is. He wants to give to you and me an opportunity to come back into fellowship with him. 
He wants to help us return to the beautiful relationship he had with his creation in the garden. He wants us to live with him forever. And he will do whatever it takes to bring us back into fellowship with him. The question is this. Are you on the journey toward a perfect fellowship with him? Or are you purposely walking away from having a relationship with him? I'm going to pray right now, but I'm just, I believe that there are some of you today who are saying, you know what, I recognize I have been walking away, but that kind of God, I want that type of relationship with him. And as we pray, if you'd like to come down to the altar, we'd love to gather around you and pray so that you could come into relationship with him. That's what he desires for you. What you're feeling right now is him saying, I love you so much that I'm drawing you to me right now. As we pray, if you'd like to come down to the altar, we'd love to pray with you. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you want to have fellowship with us. We thank you, Father, for loving us enough to give us your Son who would die on the cross for our sins. And if we by faith trust him, we are gifted grace, something that we don't deserve, that we might be forgiven and have eternal fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Your love has ravished my heart and taken me over, taken me
receive this benediction. And the game of hide and seek continues today. Our sin and imperfection encourages us to hide from a perfect God. We truly, personally know the knowledge of good and evil. But as we hide, God continues to seek. And our loving creator seeks after our fellowship. And he desires union and fellowship and community with us. May you constantly be found. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Go in peace. For he has already gone before you. You're dismissed, my friends.